John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stopped, stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Immediately after the train wreck of this trap set up by the wicked religious leaders of the day, and a masterful handling of the situation by Jesus, who presented to us both mercy and justice, only he can figure out how to do this, with the Pharisees wanting to trap and, and destroy Jesus, um, they wanted to take his reputation and throw it to the side with those that needed mercy, and he wanted those who thought justice would needed to come, they wanted him to be thrown to the side because maybe he would show mercy to someone who they thought didn't deserve it. In the midst of this, Right as this has happened, Jesus stands up in verse 12 and says this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This is a very powerful statement in a moment that has been seared into our minds. Many of us have heard this story, but the light came into this moment just like every other moment. The Pharisees were revealed at, oh, wow, I have sin. Okay, great, I'm walking. I'm not gonna throw a stone. This, woman's caught, this woman is caught in the act, and yes, we, there are a, num a number of things that went wrong with this whole thing that we should point at and look at, but really, I just wanna look at Jesus' announcement in this moment. Jesus is the light of the world, come into the world. He's revealed that the Pharisees aren't as good as they think they are, but he's also revealed something to this woman who reveals, who thinks she's lost in a lost cause. Should have walked away dead, but somehow walked away living. The timing of Jesus' statement in this story is just like God. God loves to show off and show pictures Whenever he does things and when Jesus speaks, he doesn't waste a word, a moment, or any of these things. This moment is no different. Jesus is in Jerusalem for what is called the Festival of Tabernacles. It is a seven-day festival that reminds the people of Israel that God tented with them. When they were leaving Egypt, as slavery, they were coming out from slavery to become free, God walked with the people. And this festival was a seven-day festival that reminded them that they lived in tents on their journey to the promised land. It was a reminder of God's faithfulness, God's ability to provide for them, and his presence that would go with them. 
You can still see people in Israel today, and you may see, if you have Jewish neighbors, they may actually, in the first week of October, live out in tents. They still do it. They still do it to this day. It's a celebration of how God led them through the wilderness. Now, as Jesus was teaching, as he always did, he would teach in the treasury. This was important because the treasury was also known as the woman's court, meaning the women were also able to sit and hear Jesus teach. See, if you went beyond the temple treasury, you had to have a certain status. You had to have a certain family name tied to you. You could not go any further if you did not have that. But Jesus always taught outside the temple treasury. I want to show you a picture. Um, when I was in Israel, you can kind of, you, you, you can stand on where the treasury temple was, or, uh, the temple treasury was, and it's kind of like this flat rock platform with some stairs now. You wouldn't really think about it. But as a Christ follower, this is a, this is a really important place because it's where Jesus would teach. And so you look across the valley, and you can see um, in this picture down towards the bottom left that, 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 that church right there is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And so you can see where Jesus would have been praying, and then he would have walked across this valley to come into Jerusalem. But you can sit on this space where Jesus taught, and you can read the New Testament, and it's like, how would people have heard this sitting where Jesus was speaking? Christ followers love to sit here and put in their audio Bibles and listen to the New Testament read because it's like, this is where Jesus would teach. And he was accessible to all these people. He didn't go beyond where it was hard to get to his teachings. He sat on the outermost courts where you were able to. Anyone and everyone could hear this man's teaching that leads to eternal life. And at this moment, Jesus's words, I am the light of the world, there would have been an interesting connection point here. They would have had the smell of the oils and maybe even the smoke from the candles that had been lit the night before. At the end of the Festival of Tabernacles, there's what's called the illumination of the temple. And it is just that. Uh, inside this temple treasury, there would have been four giant candelabras. And, and when I say giant, I want to show you a picture of the Western Wall. And this is, this is the, the last remaining second temple wall that's been, that's, that survived. And so look how tall it is. You see how tiny those people are. These candles were almost, if not as tall as the walls that surrounded them. And on these four giant candlesticks were ladders that four giant candles sat out of. Like, and I'm talking giant, where there were like 35 or 65 liter bowls up there that you would have to climb a ladder. The young, healthy rabbis, the young, healthy uh, teachers would do this. They would have to carry the oil up the ladders, 65, 75-foot ladders. How many of you have ever climbed a 65-foot? There's like a few in this. Phil is the one guy, right? Like, you climb up that ladder, and it is like, what? Right? So they'd have to fill the oil. And one of the other elements that I thought was really cool, and like I said, God loves to tell stories through his stuff, the, the, the wicks of these candles were actually made from the clothing of the garments that were worn out by, the, by the, the, the religious leaders. So like the wicks were actually their old clothing and so they would light this stuff and these huge flames would just, I mean, four of these giant bad boys sitting there lighting up the temple. Witnesses say that of the temple lighting, when this happened, there was no corner of shadow inside the temple at this point. There was no shadow, it was so bright. Witnesses also let us in on it didn't just light up the temple, it lit up Jerusalem. Like you may not have been at the temple that day, but if you were coming home from work 
And at night, and this giant light just starts following you, you turn around and you're like, what in the world? Light. And it was this huge celebration. It was joy-filled, like the religious men, the religious leaders were so undignified that they'd be dancing and spinning. And I can just see, like, the heat and the lights and all that stuff. Like, I can see the sweat coming off of the beards, right? Like, just flying all over the place. The men are dancing around with torches in their hands. The worship leaders are playing. The music is loud. It is a celebratory moment in the history of Israel. It was centered on joy because it was a reminder of everything that God had done. But it was also a pointer to the promise of what he would do. God's promise through this celebration was that once again, he would send a final Messiah rescuer to renew Israel's glory. Where there was shame, there would be glory restored. To release them from their bondage, where they were oppressed, as Israel lived most of their life, they would be freed, and to restore their joy. Lots of mourning in the life of Israel. These were the things that God would say through this reminder in this festival that the light was coming into the world. And while this light celebration was going on, it was inescapable. Whether you happened to be the religious duty fulfiller and in the temple that day, or you were outside the temple doing your own thing, the light shined into the darkness. And it is a powerful picture. Listen to John's words about Jesus. John chapter one, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus stands up at this moment in history where the smoke could probably still be smelled, the oil that burned could probably still be smelled, the exhaustion from celebrating so hard could probably still be felt. And he says, that pillar of fire that led you in the wilderness, that was me. The presence that filled the temple, that filled the tabernacle, that was me. I am the light of the world. Your glory is being restored, but it's not yours, it's mine. That freedom from slavery to sin, you can't do on your own, that's me. Your joy, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will never walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. Every celebratory reminding moment happened in the life of that woman caught in adultery. Where her label was shame, God restored glory. He shared his with her. Where she thought her life was over because of the bondage to sin that she could not escape, whether she gave herself away freely, she was tricked into it, or regularly that was her lifestyle, who bound by sin, she had been freed and sent on her way, go and sin no more. And where there was sorrow for sin, God had returned her joy. And Jesus was absolutely attaching his name to all the things God said he would do for the people. So you can't look at Jesus after hearing him say, I am the light of the world, and go, that guy's just a good teacher. You can't hear 
a teacher stand up in a place and say, if you want to live, you have to trust me with everything. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in a ceremony that was centered so much on Israel's joy, he had come revealing that he is the light of the world. And it's with the same lips that both announced, that announced, I am the light of the world, those lips turned and looked at the disciples and said these words in Matthew. To the disciples, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Christ followers realize that the light with which Jesus is speaking is not a light that comes from us. This is a new age thought. This is a very humanistic thought, human thinking, centering, suggesting that the light is already within us, but we walk in, what you and I walk in comes from God. Paul, the apostle, put it this way into the, to the church in, in Corinth. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, he's the author of light, he is light, has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing the, this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. The very first youth retreat I ever went on, there was a, a woman who was in charge of cooking. She was about a 70-year-old woman, and at the end of each camp, she got to address the campers, and I was not aware of this. This is the very first time I was like, a retreat, cool. Growing in Christ, yeah, I think, I'm, I, think I wanna grow. She gets up and she addresses the kids in at the camp and she says these words, we are all broken jars and I just want people to see Jesus shining through my crack. I was the only one in the room that laughed because I thought it was a joke. It was not a joke. I was like, we're, la we're not laughing at this? Okay, no, we're not. I mean, I'm as mature as they come when I'm in high school right? And nobody else is laughing. Everybody else is like, this woman always addresses us with such wisdom. I was like, did you guys just hear what she said? Like, come on. No, no, it's not funny. I've never forgotten it. She has impacted my life. I don't remember many sermons, but I remember this woman's words that I want everyone to see Jesus through my crack. You're laughing too. So you're just as bad as me. You would have been there with me. Where were you guys when I was in high school? You're my people, this is it, this is awesome, I like it. But what she was communicating is communicated and understood that Christ as the light dwelling in us. His presence is no longer maintained and held in a tent or in a temple, but the, the Holy Spirit has come and dwell, is dwelling in us. Of Jesus, that's what John says, he dwelt among us. That word right there is tented among us. He built a tent and walked among us. He put on flesh, walked among us. And this is the reality that Christ is the light of the world. This is our anchor for Ephesians. When Ephesians 5, Paul says these words, for once, okay, once, at one time before this, once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. 
in the scripture, evil, sin, and cluelessness. Did you know this? Ignorance would be defined as darkness. Walking in darkness, whether you were willingly choosing to walk in sin, willingly choosing to walk away, willingly choose, that's darkness. But there's also darkness that's ignorance. Like I just didn't know any better. And so to be a people who walk in darkness, you could be walking in, in willing sin, you could be walking in re open rebellion against God, you could be walking in an ignorance, not knowing what pleases the Lord. And that's darkness. But in the scriptures, light is connected to God and God's holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, and his truth. A people no longer walk bound by sin, darkness, evil, or our own ignorance, but we walk in the light. In Ephesians 1, Paul makes sure that the people understand who Christ is and what he's done. Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about how this power of Christ has saved you as a people group and a community, the body, the family, the temple. All of these phrases get very clearly used, showing an intimacy among a new group of people that God has formed. And there is nothing that causes more growth than being in a long-term relationship with people. Like, think of it. Think of it as a child. When you lived with your family, they shaped you, right? They say by the age of five, a child is going to be set in their character traits for the rest of their life. And that's done in the context of community. Now, when you get to, like, your high school, you're like, I'm 18, I'm out of here, I'm going to go get a college roommate, and it's going to be awesome. And then you learn, they're crazy. My college roommate is crazy. And what happens? You learn a little bit more about who you are and what gets on your nerves and all those different things. And some of that stuff is carved off a little bit. And then the day comes when you say, oh, I love that person so much. Like, I'm going to marry them. They're going to be, they're the best thing. The f I will finally be the most content with this person that I'm going to spend my, the rest of my life with. I am going to, there will be never a moment of tension between us ever. Nothing is ever going to go wrong. And the, the wedding is going to be the first year. We're so much in love. Wait a minute. Why is he putting all of his stuff on the floor? Why doesn't he clean up after himself? Why does he do this? Why does he do that? Why does she do this? Why does she do that? There is not, why are you pointing at her? Don't point at her. All right, I'm so. But there is this thing that happens in relationship that things are chiseled off in the context of relationship. Do not even get me started about having children. Oh, boy. We won't go there. But the work the Lord does in our lives through our children is crazy. It is. It's insane. But it's all done in the context of relationship. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That Paul uses this group of people to bring us to a completion, to show us who Christ is and what areas of our life are still stealing from us. And this is probably why I may, may be wrong. My guess is the reason we avoid Christian community is because we know that. We avoid being around other believers because we know when we get in the presence of other believers who are headed at Christ and we've been messing around and running after things that are killing us, we don't want anybody to shine light on that. We don't want anybody to look at us and go, hey, hey, you're, man, you're really blowing up on people. What's that about? What's going on? Why are you so angry all the time? Why are you so frustrated all the time? Why are you so, what, you know, what, what's that about? We don't want people to be used in helping us grow. And it's why everyone's like, well, I just worship God in nature. Yeah, I would too, because a tree don't talk back. 
Tree don't give me its opinion. That's why I worship with all the animals on Sunday. That's because animals don't talk to you, unless they do. You have bigger problems. The point is, this is why we avoid interaction in Christian community. It's because when we come into the lightness, the darkness is revealed, and we do not like that. Jesus made it really clear. In Ephesians 5, verse 10, Paul says this, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That word carefully there is the phrase, find out through practice. Find out by walking these things out what pleases the Lord. If you walk with Christ followers long enough and you practice as a community the things of God that are the good, the right, the truth, all of those things, you begin to learn what pleases the Lord. Part of the reason I think the church is stunted in her growth in the United States is because we're still debating with God what's right and what's wrong. We're still like, hmm, I think that problem was probably for those people back then. But today, we're more enlightened. We have more technology. We have more stuff. We're probably smarter than them. So it probably doesn't apply to us. See, do you hear it? We're arguing it away. We're trying to justify anything and everything. At the end of the day, the Christ follower asks the question, does it please the Lord? I don't scroll past his commands if I don't understand them. If I don't understand them in the context of community, I get to ask the question, so does this please the Lord? And I'm gonna be very honest with you right now, and I know that many of you in this room who have walked in a mentor-discipleship kind of relationship with anybody, you've probably seen this happen, but I've walked with people through mentoring and discipling relationships, been with them there through the hardest times, talked about all the crazy stuff, and then the, uh, the, 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 the sin that so easily entices draws them. And what they do when that happens is they go find people to ask about this sinful thing they want to throw themselves at, but they don't ask you. They find 10, 12, 15 people that will be the echo chamber that will tell them what they want to hear rather than what we might need to hear through scripture. It happens all the time. Rather than sitting with the one, and and I've had this happen. You know what, Jason? I asked 10 of my friends and they've all told me the same thing. You're the only one who's told me different. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Walk as children of light. And when we walk in that light, guess what happens? I don't have to be the guy walking around with a sin flashlight. I don't. I'm not. We shouldn't be. But when we gather around Christ who is the light, guess what happens? All those things that are darkness get revealed. They get revealed for what they are, and we don't like that. This is part of our rebellion. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. Taking no part in worthless, evil, dark deeds means I don't, you don't, hold hands, with unfruitful works. And what that means is that when we partner with those unfruitful deeds, there is no blessing. There's no blessing. 
None whatsoever. And the number of people that I have heard say in churches, I'm just here to receive my blessing from the Lord. Well, stop holding hands with worthless deeds. The reason there is no blessing is because you are so tied up and held by worthless, dark, and unfruitful deeds. Set them down so God can put the blessings in your hand. I just want my blessings from God. Put down the worthless deeds. How do we know it's worthless? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And we get to do that together. As a people, we fight to keep those things that are killing us set down so that we can have open hands to be fruitful, to be blessed, and to be life-giving to others. But not only do we get to hold, let go of holding hands with unfruitful ways, we're also meant to expose them. And I wanna make very clear what expose them means. We are not to shame or condemn a person in this example and in this, in, this, in this passage. What it is suggesting, however, is that as a new community who comes around the light of the world, by simply doing that, dark deeds will be revealed. I will recognize when I'm sitting with someone who is loving, patient, self-controlled, uh, joy-filled, I will recognize when I come around believers who are centered around the life of Christ that in my own life I have been holding on to grudges, bitterness, anger. It happens when you come into the light. I'm not walking around as the sin police, you're not walking around as the sin police, but Christ in you. When we gather, something happens and something is revealed. And it is the dark, fruitless, evil deeds that we keep holding on to that are revealed. And in that revealing, there is a moment where we get to go, Christ, I trust you. Jesus made it very clear to the, to the disciples in Luke chapter 11. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. For the person who's convinced that money is the light of everything, they're gonna commit themselves to it and it's going to create a monster in them. You see, when you're committed to something that you think is light, but it's actually darkness, it's even more destructive. So Jesus said, make sure what you're looking at really is light, because if it's not, it will go very poorly for you. Education, you know, money, popularity, the followers on Instagram, whatever you think is light, if it's not, it will be super destructive in your world. Coming together in the light, we see these dark deeds. Ben, you and the team can come. Light revealing darkness is done in, in two ways. For the person who's never believed on Jesus, and you may be in this room, light is revealed when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to go, I need to believe in Jesus. There is a moment that the Holy Spirit does his thing, he convicts us of our unbelief, and the light of the world truly is seen by the unbeliever. But what Paul is talking about here is when the church community comes together and in our lives, because we come around the light of Christ, the unfruitful, dark, evil deeds that we're just holding hands with, they're revealed for what they are, and we're like, oh, oh, like, you're actually able to see what's not worth giving your life to. 
because you've seen what's absolutely worth handing your life to. This is how light works. And light doesn't just reveal, but light also transforms. Listen to Ephesians 5, 14. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Every time we hear the phrase, wake up, or awake in the scripture, it is a call to shake us out of the sleepiness to what God is doing in us. It is, a pos it's, it is possible for you and I to go through all the religious motions, sleepwalking, and just like there are some really dangerous physical results from sleepwalking, spiritual sleepwalking is just as destructive. Going through the motions, leading to a very hard heart, just like the Pharisees. See, the disciples would have been like, oh man, Jesus, don't be so hard on the Pharisees. They're actually kind of the standard around here. But the more they spent time with Jesus and heard his words and saw his actions, they were able to go, oh wow, they really are the whitewashed tombs that Jesus said they were. Remember, this morning, this is why Paul says to the church, wake up! Don't fall asleep. It's one of the most beautiful and powerful reminders that Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. In recognizing that, we see where we've trusted all the unfruitful things the world has to offer. Every week, whether it's here or in a small group or a virtual small group or sitting at a park socially distanced, however you have to do it, you're fighting to see the light of the world in Christ Jesus. For some of you, maybe it's the first time. For some of you, when we go to the table every week, we're reminded it is finished. It is the light of the world that has come into the darkness and the darkness will never overtake it. And it is out of the same lips, the same breath that said, I am the light of the world, turned and looked at the disciples and says, you are the light of the world. This is the joy-filled reminder that God has stirred people to walk in the light. Let's be people who walk in the light, never to have to walk in darkness again. I'm thankful for John's words and he said simply, if you have been walking in sin, darkness, unfruitful deeds, 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all wickedness. Those are his promises. Walk in the light.